Hey, I'm your host, Crystal Douglas. I'm a clothing designer and celebrity tailor, a wild Mustang tamer, and an entrepreneur addicted to self-education. This podcast is dedicated to sharing lessons from my experiences of building my own brand in the handmade and creative space. What started as a home sewing machine propped on the edge of a $30 Craigslist desk grew to be my dream job, a thriving sewing enterprise here in Nashville, Tennessee. If you make or design things for money, this, and let's be honest, every other episode of Pull the Thread will help you do that even better. I can't wait to dive into this next episode with you. So let's go. Welcome back to Pull the Thread. If there were one secret to being successful as an entrepreneur, I believe that this is the one. So I have a story for you. And then after that, I'm going to dive into how you too can turn an ordinary idea into an extraordinary operation. Here we go. Well, in 1917, a woman named Rose Blumkin emigrates to Seattle. She's Russian Jew and she doesn't speak a word of English. Now she has a tag around her neck that says Fort Dodge, Iowa. And the Red Cross is like, okay, well, I guess we'll get her to Iowa. So they get her to Fort Dodge and she's reunited with her husband. Her husband had emigrated to Fort Dodge a year or two before. And so here they begin their life together. Okay, she's finally there. They're reunited and she's trying to learn English. And poor Miss Rose feels like an idiot. She can't pick up the language, not a single word. So after these two years of trying, they decide to pick up and try again in a new place. So they moved to Omaha, Omaha, Nebraska in 1919, and they find a small group of Russian Jews. So they feel like they like finally have a community, right? They finally feel a little bit more at home. And so she sends her daughter Frances to school and her daughter comes home each day and teaches Miss Rose the words that she had learned in school that day. So Miss Rose Blumkin, she starts learning the language and she starts buying and selling used clothing. So over time, buying and selling used clothing, 10 cents, a dollar, 50 cents, it doesn't matter. She starts collecting up used clothing and selling it and she's able to save up $50 at a time. Now, why is that important? Well, $50 in 1919 is enough to bring a family member over. Okay, so she starts bringing family members over for $50 at a time, saving up and bringing her whole family to America from Russia. Okay, so at this point, after she's got all of her family here, she's had four children during this period. And by 1937, after 20 years of being in America, she finally saves $2,500. Now, her dream had always been to own a furniture store. So she goes up to Chicago and she buys some furniture, some cheap furniture to start her business. And she comes back. Now, Miss B was so about her hustle that even the appliances and the furniture in her house had those little price stickers on them. And she builds this business, this furniture business, so big that she ends up selling it for $60 million dollars. To Warren Buffett. (laughs) Miss Rose still worked for Buffett until she was 103 years old. The fourth generation actually still works in her store. Now, Miss B 
she didn't bring anything new to the market, right? She's selling furniture. She didn't bring anything unique. She simply brought determination to succeed. She knew she could outwork anybody. She knew she could take care of her customers. And she worked with low margins, but she built a really incredible business. $60 million? Like, are you kidding me? And now another really cool fact about Ms. B is that she couldn't read or write. After learning how to speak English, she stopped there. She learned what she needed to learn. Can you imagine selling a company for $60 million and not even being literate to read the contract? Like, I would imagine she had a lawyer. I mean, she stayed on to work for Buffett after she sold the company to him to make sure that the business was taken care of. But, like, can you imagine? I know I, for one, complain that I don't have the tools that I need to be successful at certain things. Um, and I love to think of Miss B as a reminder that you've got everything that you need <laughs> to be able to succeed if you really want to. The key is deciding if you're actually willing to do what it takes. And you actually have to care. You have to actually care about giving your customer the best possible experience. The investments that you make, like education, equipment, your storefront, they'll all reflect that. Business stories like these are my favorite kind because they're such a powerful reminder that you can turn ordinary business ideas into extraordinary operations. You don't have to have the greatest business idea in the world. The test is just learning what you yourself can bring to the party to make it new, to keep it familiar, but to make it special. Which brings me to my first point, customer experience is bigger than margin. <laughs> Ms. B operated on small margins because she always passed that savings along to her customers. And I always think it's funny because this is what it makes me think of. I always think it's funny when I hear business owners after, like small business owners, after years of building businesses say, oh, it's time for me to give back. Because like, I personally feel like every penny that I earn, I have earned. Oh, I've worked for it. <laughs> so to me, like like small business owners who um, who say, oh, it's time for me to give back and do like nonprofit work now. Like I personally feel like, you know, you give off the top from the beginning throughout the entire process of growing your business. Um, but to me, when people go, it's time for me to, you know, like enter the season of giving back or, you know, just donating or just doing nonprofit work, it always comes across as if they feel guilty about just how profitable they've been, <laughs> that they need, like they feel the need to make a huge gesture. <laughs> um, and instead, Miss B operated on small margins. And in the end, she won in the net. My brick and mortar business in Nashville doesn't operate on huge margins, but we make up for it by diversifying types of income and in volume alone. And if your margins are thin, volume is a necessity. Like back in 2021, 2022, I had grown to anywhere between eight and 12 people, depending on the project. And at one point in time, I looked up and I realized that I hadn't sewn in weeks. Like I was so focused on keeping the margins thin, like paying out as much as I could to myself subcontractors. Um, but that I was like, Oh, we have to take on like so much work <laughs> so that there was money in the account. Like, you know, you had to have margin, but if you, if your margins weren't huge, you had to do a lot of volume, but I'd realized that I hadn't sewn in weeks and I didn't like it. Like, so I had to realign the business where I got to sew too. And now like I continue to pivot and adjust and realign course correct. Um, and now I just sew on projects that make sense for me and I delegate the rest. 
But that's the thing is like you must have this genuine desire to delight your customer. That customer experience is so much more important than the margin because you always win out in the net. I promise you, if you're worried about your margins, so long as you're doing math correctly, you will always win out in the net. It is insane. I've literally had people walk into my shop. Like I had somebody walk into my shop about six months ago who was one of my first customers nearly seven years ago. And I remember when I first met her, I met her because I was posting to Craigslist, taking on any kind of sewing work possible. And uh, I obviously like I like I was just meeting people wherever I could. So I remember meeting her in the parking lot of a McDonald's to pick up like her like pass off her son's stuffed uh, cat like like pet cat like like stuffed animal cat and fix it um, and here I was seeing her like six and a half years later you know and her career had progressed and I was tailoring her and everything and it's crazy because I'd not spoken to her in six years but when she needed something she was like oh my gosh Crystal let me find her number and she texted me and it was really a cool moment like to come full circle and come into my space and, you know, me get to fit her and everything. It was just really, really special. But it's amazing because it doesn't matter if you have like a beautiful, huge shop or if you're meeting somebody in the parking lot of a McDonald's, you can be able, like you can facilitate an experience that's memorable where they feel taken care of and cared for. You have to have that genuine desire to delight your customer. People long forget the price that they paid for things, but they'll never forget what the purchasing experience was like. You'll have a hard time having somebody have a great experience with you and not come back. As a small business owner and as you grow, you have to perfect your interest in people's well-being. And you also have to learn how to do it through other people too. Which brings me to my next point, delegation over perfection. This one is so hard. Delegating is probably the hardest thing for me because I know how fast I can do something. I know how well I can do something. But here's the thing. In order to scale on slim margins, you'll have to learn how to multiply yourself. It's said that if someone can do a task 70% as well as you can, that you should be delegating that task and helping them improve. And while that's easier said than done, I think it's a great benchmark for scaling if you can save 20% of your management time each week in order to commit it to help your employees do even better and get a little bit closer to like 80 or 90% as good as you. Good delegation is a total superpower. For me, it's something that I've struggled with for a long time, like I've said, but I have gone through seasons in my business where I'm terrified to delegate anything more complicated than tag application. And then seasons where I've become a better communicator and full trust because the people I delegate to, um, like I know them and they know me and we have this reciprocity. Whereas like when I first started delegating, um, the people that I would delegate to had no idea how much was on my plate, had no idea. And usually like when I get overwhelmed, communication's the first thing to go. I'm like head down, just like work through what you need to work through. Um, but what happens, like if you're like me, what happens is, um, that leaves the people that you're delegating to your team will start thinking that there's something wrong or there's something wrong with them or their work. And that's just not the case. So it's like the better that you get at delegating, the stronger your entire team gets because everyone feels 
safe and secure and they know exactly what you expect from them. Just last week, I flew out to California and sure enough, like three days before my flight, I found out that my artist needed a fitting the same day as my flight. And it's for a custom piece that I'd made for her. It's a high profile shoot. So like, you know, a lot riding on it. Everything needs to fit perfectly. Every artist on my roster, all of my clients fluctuate because that's just how like touring is. That's how the pressure is. I mean, it, it's it's just normal. And so oftentimes there's always a tailor on site uh, for these, not just fittings, but like for the shoots and everything. And so anyways, the day of the flight is also the day of the shoot is also the day that the artist is getting back to town. And so um, my flight was like just late enough in the day where I could have probably made the fitting. However, I wouldn't have had time to even do any changes, you know? And so the best part about that was it was a really great opportunity for me to exercise trust and send Natalie my assistant. And so she was able to go to the fitting and FaceTime me in so I could get the silhouette and look at it and just make sure that everything was good. Um, and she could kind of like be my hands for me. And that was such a beautiful thing. A, that like, first of all, she gets the opportunity, you know, um, for me to extend trust, right? So she's getting the opportunity and she's getting to step up in practicing her skills and learning what it's like to do more on-site fittings and on-site alterations. She's already been with me on-site for award shows. She's already come with me to different on-site fittings. And so it wasn't like, you know, full on green behind the gills, but it was absolutely a good soft launch into her taking the reins and taking a more, uh, more front seat approach. Um, and honestly, it's like, what would I have done? (laughs) You've got to have, you know, you've got to be able to delegate if you have a company, it's different if you're an individual and you're self-employed. Um, in that case, it's like, you're essentially going to pass the gig on to another person. But as a business owner, you're not really owning a business if you can't delegate it out and have someone else do the task for you if you can't make it because that's the point of scale. That's the point of scaling the business. But I've had to make peace with delegation in order to maintain the pricing sweet spot with my customers while also getting the sweet spot from my bills being paid and also the people who work for me, their bills getting paid, all of our bills because like the alternative would be me paying out less money and keeping more and keeping the prices the same, but that's not where all three parties win. So if if you want everyone to win, both yourself and your clients and the people who work for you, you have to find margin and you have to find volume and you have to master delegation. And in in mastering delegation, um, I've I have one question that I ask myself. Um, when I'm struggling. And um, that's what I portray to people who help me out. It's what does greatness look like? Um, And sometimes I physically ask the question. And other times I may if like if they're newer working with me, um, I just say, you know what, like, it's going to look really great. Like, it's going to be great if we do X and not Y. Um, So I'm demonstrating and I'm showing them what the expectation is for greatness. What does greatness look like? Um, But if you're challenging yourself to grow a team this year, that question needs to be just made into a neon sign. What does greatness look like? Because what you have to do is foster 
greatness inside of the people that work for you um, and teach them what that what questions to ask themselves when they're looking at their own work. When you train your team like that, they automatically start asking themselves those questions when they're calling the shots and they're making decisions in the granular, like in the nitty gritty moments. They're subconsciously asking themselves the question, what would greatness look like right now? Ugh, I need to pull it off and do it again. You know, like I need to seam rip this and start over. Or mm, you know what? I need to recut the piece. Um, and the point is you hire people that genuinely care about the customers as much as you do. So is that it? Is that all it takes? Is that the secret? <laughs> is that the one secret that makes it all happen for you? You and I both know. The answer, unfortunately, is no. Because determination and too much time spent on the wrong thing will not bring you success. So what's the secret? Derek Thompson says that to sell something familiar, you have to make it surprising. To sell something surprising, you have to make it familiar. It is in this interplay, he says, between familiarity and surprise where the strongest appeal lives. And isn't that just it? Customers are either torn between their curiosity of new things and also completely terrified of anything too new. So if your idea is truly ahead of its time, it's doomed for failure. If you don't make it feel familiar in some way. If it's an ordinary product, you'll be pressed to sway potential customers away from their go-to products if you can't make an element of it surprising. If you're under the age of 30, you probably don't remember Beanie Babies. Those little pellet stuffed animals literally ushered in a new wave of capitalism in America. If you weren't there, at some point, statistically half of America owned at least one Thai Beanie Baby. Those things popped off in the 90s and yet even now, Thai is still worth $6 billion. Billion, with a B. From selling stuffed animals that already had names. Groundbreaking, right? Sarah Blakely invented Spanx by cutting off the feet from her pantyhose. She's now worth $1.1 billion and is considered the 93rd most powerful woman in the world for reimagining shapewear. You don't have to come up with an insane revolutionary idea. You just have to care about your customers, care about what you produce, and care about striking the balance between neophilia and neophobia, between familiarity and surprise. An example of this dichotomy, if you're wrestling with it, was written about in an Atlantic article about Matt Ogle, who for more than a decade was obsessed with designing the perfect music recommendation engine. And he joined Spotify and helped build Discover Weekly. If you use Spotify, you know what Discover Weekly is. Might be your jam or you might loathe it, <laughs> depending on what side of the spectrum you're on between familiarity and surprise loving. So Matt helped build Discover Weekly and personalized list of 30 songs delivered every Monday to tens of millions of users. The original version of Discover Weekly was supposed to only include songs that users had never listened to before. But in its first internal test at Spotify, a bug in the algorithm let through songs that users had already heard. And everybody reported it as a bug and we fixed it so that every single song was totally new, he said. So the team fixes the bug, and guess what happens? 
engagement with the playlist fell. (laughs) Turns out, having a bit of familiarity bred trust, especially for first-time users, he says. So he says, if we make a new playlist for you and there's not a single thing for you to hook onto or recognize, it's completely intimidating and people do not engage. It turned out that the original bug was an essential feature. Discover Weekly was a more appealing product when it had even one familiar band or song. I get asked on a pretty regular basis to review online storefronts and websites to see if I spot anything that might be holding back sales or affecting the bottom line of the people who are asking. And this is a theme uh, that I would say comes up probably about 65-70% of the time where it's the product is either too simple and too ordinary and um, the the seller or the the storefront is not thinking about it in a surprising way or a way to refresh it um, or it is so um, it is so ahead of its time that the presentation of it can leave the customer uh, feeling put off or uncomfortable. So I want to challenge you to audit your products and your websites for familiarity and surprise this week. If whatever you're offering is, be it a service or a product, feels very familiar and feels safe, I want to challenge you to bring an element of surprise to it. And vice versa, if your product feels like you are catering to only five people in the entire world, I want you to reapproach it with new vision. For example, if I was selling a handmade bracelet um, that is, let's say it's like kooky or different or playful, I would probably market it next to a fistful, or shall I say a wristful of friendship bracelets um, solely because the year that I'm recording this in is 2023 and the Eras tour has absolutely just like taken over the entire world. Um, And that would be a good example of taking something extremely familiar and pairing it with something that's a little bit outlandish or that might be um, too strange um, for the audience because there's going to be reciprocity there and there's going to be familiarity. And so take your surprise and combine it with familiar in that case. I want to use um, one of my students' stores as a perfect example of taking something familiar and adding an element of surprise to it because she just does such a great job of marketing the exact surprise on TikTok, um, and that's Mama on Tap. And I think that I've mentioned her in podcasts before, but she sells handmade rompers uh, and essentially jumpsuits, but see, they have huge pockets, and you can't tell. And you're able to like wear the romper, but then also like, you know, go pee in public without getting completely nude, right? And so the legs are just wide enough, there's stretch in the fabric. And um, so you can like literally pull one foot through um, so that you have both feet coming through one leg of the pant. Um, And then she can put a big gulp in her pockets and you wouldn't even see it. It's like the absolute perfect jumpsuit to wear to the movie theater. And so she's taken something super simple and super straightforward, but she's added elements of surprise and novelty to it um, between being able to, you know, like half change in the jumpsuit, you know, and pee in public, um, in porta potties or in like public restrooms. Um, and then also like sneaking drinks into her pockets, you know, or putting like 
62 things in her pockets and then um, incorporating lots of fun different new prints and so that's a great example of taking she's not having to reinvent the wheel you know she's just adding um, little surprising embellishments so I think those are two really great examples um, of the inverses of one another Uh, yeah I am happy with those examples okay so yeah I want to challenge you to audit your products or your service page for familiarity and surprise this week see how you can freshen it up and that's it that's the end of this episode if you enjoyed it I would love to know feel free to contact me on Instagram at crystal douglas that's crystal with a k and on TikTok I think I am crystal.douglas thank you so much for listening and by the way like if you really really enjoyed the episode you know what you could do for me because i have a goal this year my goal is to become a chart topping podcast and in order to do that it doesn't cost anything but it does require a lot of people to hear this so if you really enjoyed this podcast um, the show in general it would mean the world to me literally the whole world if you would leave a review of Pull the Thread podcast on Apple Podcasts because that is how more people just like you and me find this show. See you next time on Pull the Thread.